Here we are, episode two of the Social Distance Podcast with me, Dominic Black. And today we have a chat with Marcy Sulman, Senior Correspondent for Arts and Culture at KUOW in Seattle, which is a public radio station there. Now, um, there's a care home in the city of Kirkland, which is a city to the east of Seattle. And that was the first place to see a major outbreak of COVID-19 cases in the US. So I just want to give you that bit of context because it comes up uh, later in our conversation where we mention a care home in Kirkland. Um, That's the place we're referring to. So. Um, Marcy, as I've mentioned, is an arts correspondent. So the first thing I wanted to know was like what sense she had of the impact of COVID-19 on the sector, which she has been reporting on for years, which is the arts and culture sector. So that's where we started our chat. There was a survey done in the Seattle community. That's really all I can speak to. But you can imagine that it pretty much is mirrored in every city with a major arts community. Um, probably... of arts workers are are gig workers, right? They're actors who are hired to be in particular plays, stage crew, wardrobe folk, um, scenery designers, you know, people who are hired by jobs. So about 80% of the community immediately lost work. The big organizations, well, actually there was a survey taken, I think of I'm thinking it's 85 organizations of all sizes, and these are nonprofit theaters, choral companies, you know, the museums, and some of them have enough money to last for 60 days. Some have lucky ones have 90 days worth of of liquidity, which means that they can pay any staff that they might have, but they're anticipating if this uh if these social distancing measures continue for another month and a half uh aggregate losses of close to 75 million dollars and the question is will there be work afterwards in other words can can anybody resurrect themselves after this is over it's really tough for arts groups because you know i while i do feel bad for commercial entities that had to close and lay off workers, uh, a lot of them, what happens is their shareholders are not going to get big, whatever dividends that they get. But that's not what happens with arts organizations. They don't have big stockpiles of of money for shareholders. You know, they, they live pretty close to the edge. So whether they can come out of this on the other side and that there actually is um, a viable cultural community. We just don't know. I mean, I, I guess there's a sense that if there's a viable cultural community, it's going to look um, starkly different. Like one of the things that struck me when I came to the States was that arts as a way of um, encouraging government to take art seriously was arts was always included in an equation where it's uh, look how much money we contribute to the economy, look how much business we generate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's the part of it that, that clearly is going to be um, completely reconfigured. The actual existence of art is still going to happen because, I mean, it's, it's, the human, <laughs> it's the human condition to make art as long as human beings are on the earth breathing and wondering about stuff, I suppose. Yeah, but it's really been fascinating because um, I know that there has been some help from the 
city of Seattle officially and from King County, which has, you know, a, a pretty had a pretty uh, vibrant, uh, bustling community. Uh, but most of the aid here and in places like New York City has come from private donors, foundations mostly. Um, and I, it's really hard to say, gosh, I want to help keep the museum doors open when I'm looking at this virus rampaging its way through our most vulnerable populations, people who are living on the streets or people who are incarcerated. So it's really hard to prioritize the arts right now at, on the big picture. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What's Seattle like generally? So it's, because Seattle was um, probably the first U.S. city to really um, make the headlines globally for um, the speed with which uh, COVID-19 took hold, right? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, we were on, in fact, I was on call the weekend. The first person died at the Life Care Center, which is the nursing home. So I, you know, I filed a story for NPR. You know, I had to cover all these press conferences and, you know, it was like one death. Now it was, now we're just one of many. So it's not novel anymore. And I think that we've, you know, in a funny way, we're sort of used to being socially distant and we're all at home and hardly anything's open anymore because everything is shut down. But on the other hand, there's this, this uh, low-level anxiety because we don't know how long that's going to last, right? How are you keeping life and soul together then? Well, I've been working from home since uh, it's almost it's almost three weeks. It'll be three weeks on Friday. Uh, I have I have my dining room has you've seen my dining room. My dining room is now my office, and I am doing a lot of of talking to artists right now. I'm, uh, <laughs> I had a big series that was supposed to run about, um, aging and art arts and creativity and how that keeps aging brains, um, vital, which all got canned. It was a big, long thing. So now I'm kind of pivoting to really doing some personal stories of individual independent artists who've been impacted by things. And, I every day I leave my house usually just one time. Today I have to go to the store. There's special senior citizen hours here at the store, at the grocery store. Are you a senior citizen? Yeah. So yes, I am senior citizen. Uh -huh. I was supposed to be um retiring in May, but that <laughs> given the state of the uh, economy, that's not happening. And I'm really fortunate that I have a job with some health benefits that I can hang on to for a little while. Um, can you can you describe for me what it's like to go shopping? <laughs> well, Monday, Governor Inslee really said, he didn't use the word shelter in place because that sounds like you're hovering under a nuclear attack. But that's essentially what we're doing. So the grocery stores have set aside senior citizen shopping hours, which are the first hour that they're open. So yesterday I went to the food co-op, PCC, Puget Consumers Co-op at 7 a.m. I had my Clorox wipe 
that I bring everywhere with me. I have a little baggie with Clorox and I was wearing gloves, but they, uh, because it's a groovy food co-op, they were already handing out plastic, um, composting plastic gloves and they were wiping all the handles of the carts down with bleach. It was very, very politically correct. And all I could think of was was it was like Grand Central Station. There's a lot of us seniors, I guess, in the world. So um, I was trying very hard. We try hard to stay six feet apart from one another. Um, but I, I do have to just, you know, I have, I am very impatient person. And I was trying to buy a piece of fish because I was thinking, fish, this is going to keep us healthy. So there was some fresh salmon fillets. And there was this gentleman who had who was standing in pretty much in the fish cooler. His head was in there and he was picking up every single container, you know, little package of fish. And, and I was standing six feet away with my cart and uh, debating to myself, do I say, excuse me, sir, but don't breathe on all that fish or, you know, are you, are you healthy? I did. I didn't know what to do, so I walked away. And, but he was there for a good ten minutes, and he, I'm telling you, touched every packet of fish in that display. So yeah, so that was bizarre. Um, we they don't take cash in most stores right now, except for the pot stores. The pot the the pot dealers are essential businesses in Washington State, so they're all open. You have to pay cash in a in a marijuana store. Because the federal government, it's not legal, right, in in the federal government. So you have to have cash. I have not shopped in one since since the um, social distancing regulations went into effect. So I can't tell you what that's like. I I did go to the pet food store, though. You heard the fat cat. I went to the pet food store, and they're only letting four people into the store at a time. So they stand there at the door. So there's a lot of that. Um, there was, a, you know, there's no restaurants are open. You can't go to a restaurant. You can have a restaurant delivered to you. Um, Amazon is doing booming business. And uh, that's that. There's your there's your crisis capitalism right there. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I'd like to buy stock in in Zoom because uh, the, those kinds of video conferences. That's how I conduct my work these days. Yeah, but now you have to be a senator or a, a congressperson to 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 have the foreknowledge to buy stocks in those, <laughs> or to or to dump all your stock before the market crashes, which is a whole a whole other thing. So it's a you know it's a new reality. Like you cannot buy, you cannot find a, a cleaning product with bleach right now. Um, they're just don't they're not on the shelves. Um, they're, <laughs> they're rationing toilet paper. You're allowed to buy two rolls of toilet paper, um, at my grocery store. Let's see, uh, many empty shelves and there's worries that, you know, we don't know how long this is going to go on. So what will happen with, with shipping and, you know, getting products in. So there's a lot of jostling and, and admonitions not to hoard things or buy too many. And, so you, and, and people are are people generally observing the you know, restrictions yeah. imposed by the governor? I think so. At least, I mean, I'm not, 
I haven't driven around town because because I'm in the endangered population group. My editors don't want me doing, and I don't want to be out um, recording in public. So everything I do is on the phone right now. Um, but when I take my my little constitutional up my hill and back, um, I there's hardly any cars on the streets right now, except for the Amazon trucks and the grocery. I mean the yeah the grocery delivery and the garbage men and the postal workers. Those are who you see. Um, and you see families strolling about or people today, it was raining here. And when I was out, there were a lot of people running by themselves. So there's just a lot of, yeah, you know, Seattle, we're, we're mostly very obedient here. And, you know, we already were, as the joke goes, because it's such a Scandinavian place, we already were pretty socially distant to begin with. So this just reinforces the natural tendency of the city <laughs> to, to, to not talk to one another. Um, as um, someone who's in the vulnerable population, um, are, are you surprised when you kind of realize that you're, you know, 66 and considered in this uh, population? That's... No, seriously, though. I was because, you know, I think I'm healthier than many people younger than me. I either swim a mile or row every single day, which I am not doing right now because I'm, the swimming pools are closed and my rowing shell is locked into the boathouse, which is closed down. So I, I've, you know. <laughs> you must be going off your nut if you don't yes, get that every day. I, I Every day I walk at least two and a half miles. I get up and do yoga and I have free weights in my bedroom. So yes, I was a little surprised because I think a, a number is kind of arbitrary. But, you know, what we have seen um, in our neighborhood is just, in our neighborhood, meaning Seattle, is is these, you know, lockdowns at assisted living places and and the the situation at the life care center, the nursing home, which really was ground zero here. It's, it's life care. Is that the Bellevue one? Yeah, it's Kirkland. Yeah. It's in Kirkland. It's and Kirkland. It's, right. it's part of a national chain. I mean, now right. I know more about life care than I ever knew. Um, it's a nursing home, and they they must have had more than 100 people staying there because there's still people there. Essentially, the first two patients were sent from life care to Evergreen. I believe the hospital is called Evergreen Health Services, which is a hospital in Kirkland with severe pulmonary issues, and they subsequently died. Um, and now... The uh, the facility, it turns out, had not been, they had had cases of, of strange pulmonary disease, and they did not, I mean, nobody really knew what it was, although we had heard about, you know, COVID-19 from Wuhan, China, so it wasn't totally strange, but there had been no community spread at that point here that we knew of. But it went through the, the nursing home, through the staff, before it finally got, uh, before people essentially were quarantined in place. So some people are, are dying in there without being allowed to see loved ones. People are peering through windows at their parents or, or you know, relatives or spouses. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. That's the new normal. And so, you know, you asked me how I'm kind of persisting and, you know, we, we, I, it sounds so trite, but we really do get by with the, the little help from our friends. You know, it's great to hear your voice. Um, I, I do FaceTime and actually look at my friends, um, often. I, I, um, <laughs> Is your mom still alive? Oh yes, she's uh, eighty-eight years old, and um, and she lives in Detroit, right? She lives thousands of miles from me, and I will actually talk with her today. Um, I've been calling her a lot more often than I had been. She's uh, <laughs> this is the the weird irony of ironies. We have been trying to get her to move into an not a. She could live independently, but into a center for seniors. And she has resisted because she's still pretty mobile. So now she lives on her own and she's not going to be locked down because COVID-19 is running <laughs> through an assisted living center. So I guess that's the bright side of being so incredibly stubborn that you refuse to move. But, you know, my worry now is that she's pretty isolated. So... Um, you know, there's fear. I was supposed to go back there in April, but that's not going to happen. You know, I, I travel is not a thing to be doing right now. So my, my, I don't know if I explained this in my, in my email, but my, my reason for doing this was that I, I just thought it's obviously it's a, a uniquely strange moment where we're all going through approximately the same set of processes albeit in a slightly staggered way and I had a sense that it, in a year's time I would wish that I had spoken to people as as it was actually happening just to have some kind of records and some way of making sense of it maybe mm. um, so that's that's um, why I decided to reach out to you so thank you for taking the time to chat and maybe we can check oh, in in a couple of weeks I would love that I would love that hopefully well all I would like in life is is some light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm so, I find that I have to grab my little joy where I get it. So this was a, a little bit of my joy for today, talking to you. Marcy Silmans, a senior correspondent for arts and culture with KUOW Public Radio in Seattle. Um, thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.